Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for the Pharmacy Leadership Podcast. Our discussion for this podcast series focuses on leadership topics within pharmacy practice, including the business of pharmacy, development of leadership skills, career transitions, and more. My name is Bill Kernan, and I will be your host today. I'm the Executive Director of Pharmacy for Cleveland Clinic, Florida, and I'm on the Section Advisory Group for Business Development and System Integration. Today's topic will be on the COVID-19 vaccine planning. With many of our hospitals and health systems placing the pharmacy leader as the point person for the COVID-19 vaccination planning committee and as the primary resource for collective decisions, we wanted to get some perspectives on the various aspects of COVID vaccine planning, from provider enrollment, storage, distribution, and other vaccination plans. I think all health system pharmacy leaders right now are working very diligently to be able to manage this. So this is a very useful and timely topic. Joining me today are Ryan Nosman, who is the Senior Director of Pharmacy for the University of Kentucky Healthcare, Nathan Ash, who is the Vice President, Acute Care Pharmacy at Bon Secours Mercy Health, Jennifer Noped, who is the Pharmacy Manager at Wake Forest Baptist Health, and Lindsay Clark, the Pharmacy Manager for Transitions of Care and Emergency Services at Michigan Medicine. Thank you all for joining us, and let's get started. Our first question uh, is going to be directed to both Ryan and Jennifer and deals a little bit with working with state departments of health. So how are hospitals working with state and local communities to register and enroll vaccine providers or identify healthcare workers and high-risk patients that should receive that vaccine and track related data? And are there any challenges that you are facing with your state in setting up your health system as a vaccine administration site? Ryan, you want to start us off? Thanks, Bill. The main takeaway that I've had in working with our State Department of Health is that each state um, has a CDC provider enrollment form that every facility that wants to administer or receive the vaccine needs to complete. It looks like each state is doing this a little bit differently. Some are doing a red cap survey form. Others have a PDF that you're required to complete. Um, So it's important to work with your state to determine what method they want that to be completed and to get the appropriate signatures at your organization on that form. At our state, um, they've elected to do a centralized distribution of the vaccine. I know some states are doing uh, direct distribution to healthcare providers. So that's another takeaway uh, that you'll need to work with your state to determine how the distribution will go to your institution. Jennifer, um, how about at your state? Yes, thanks, Bill. Within the state of North Carolina, we've been working very closely with DHHS for several weeks now. Um, They set up an email list early on with and asked for individuals who wanted to be added to the list to be added as needed. And they just set up a really great communication stream in that manner to select individuals at each location. They had a very informative webinar very early on to help us work through how to fill out the accurately and completely and as efficiently as possible the CDC provider agreement. There is a resource, at, a human resource at NCDHHS that's extremely accessible, answering phone, email, text as needed, and that's been extremely valuable as we've completed those uh, CDC provider agreements. 
And um, also, we did have a survey through uh, REDCap and another survey to try and help the state understand our uh, storage capacities. We have been using that NCDHHS framework that's similar to what the National Academies for the, uh, has sent to the ACIP to try and help us with determining how we can set up who will be receiving those vaccines first. And uh, it's been uh, just some great discussion, and we're able to work with the state very closely on all those different topics. Thank you, Jennifer. The next question centers around vaccine receipt and storage, and I'm going to put this to Ryan as well, um, but bring in Lindsay Clark to the discussion. And it, it, again, relates around vaccine receipt and storage. Do you feel that you're adequately prepared to store the vaccine in the ultra-cold freezers? Do you have enough freezers? And are there any steps people should take to obtain that equipment? And then along with that also is, you know, have you discuss the various different locations where you're going to be storing the vaccine? Have you talked about cold chain custody and as well, maybe some security related aspects? So uh, I'll throw that first to Ryan. Yes, we've had many discussions around the storage requirements and our capacity uh, for the vaccines. It appears that the Pfizer vaccine will be the first to market and it is the one that requires negative 80 storage. However, the stability data continues to evolve as better testing comes in on that product, and I think we'll see this with the other vaccines as well. And at least the data that we've received over the past few days indicates that the Pfizer vaccine um, will be able to be stored at refrigerated temperature, not the negative 80, but the, the regular 2 to 8 degrees Celsius refrigerated temperature for up to five days. So while we have purchased a couple extra negative 80 refrigerators just to have a little bit of capacity, I think between the dating we'll get in refrigerated storage, as well as the dry ice ability to, to pack those shippers. So um, Pfizer has developed this special box shipping container that can be packed with dry ice and has very specific requirements about how long it can be opened and how often and how, how frequently the dry ice needs to be repacked into it. But is another really viable option for those institutions that don't have large negative eighty capacities. So I think while there's not a, a huge surplus of negative 80 storage across the country. We'll be able to, to manage it between the refrigerated storage and the, um, the dry ice packing. I'll add another comment about the um, distribution within our institution. We'll likely centralize our receiving to one or two locations within our institution, uh, potentially one in the hospital and then one at an, an outside um, on a farther, farther lying clinic. Uh, and and not, not distribute the vaccine like we do flu, where it's in dozens of clinics across our system, but really in just a couple areas to, to minimize the number of native baby freezers we have where people have to handle the dry ice. But I think we have a pretty good plan on, on how to handle that. All the other manufacturers seem to have less stringent requirements, either it's negative 20 storage, or I think we'll probably see some that just require regular refrigeration. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, Lindsay, how, how are you guys handling it, your health system? Yes, thank you, Bill. Um, so we are also anticipating to receive the Pfizer vaccine first, uh, likely followed closely by the Moderna vaccine. So as previously stated, the Pfizer vaccine does require the ultra cold storage and the Moderna will require a standard freezer storage. So we do feel that we are reasonably well prepared to store our vaccines. Um, so what we're planning to do at Michigan Medicine is to store them in a central location 
on our main hospital campus under the control of our pharmacy department. So it is essentially a conference room that's been converted um, and it is under badge reader access and has a security camera in place for the centralized storage of all of our COVID vaccines. And we are also planning to store monoclonal antibodies there. And otherwise, in terms of storage, uh, we are expecting that we will receive delivery of our ultra cold freezer, hopefully within the next week. That freezer is capable of storing up to 35,000 vaccine vials. We've also ordered up on an additional standard freezer that will have a similar storage capacity. And then we have also ordered two additional fridges in anticipation of storing the monoclonal antibodies as well as the vaccines. So one thing to note, we did place the order for those freezers back in September and are now only anticipated to receive them in November. So that is something that's been taking a couple months. So certainly um, if health systems are out there that haven't yet ordered these, we would certainly recommend to order those as soon as possible. So I would also add, um, so our state health department has offered to provide digital data loggers and fridge cool packs that we could use um, to transport the vaccine both on-site and to off-site administration locations. And we would, of course, only be transporting that vaccine under refrigerated conditions, as uh, I believe the CDC has asked to happen. And then just another point about our inventory process. So we are planning to track our vaccine inventory through our state's immunization information system, as well as the VTRAX platform. So I believe that they're using that same platform as they have used that for the public vaccines for children program. Thank you, Lindsay. Uh, shifting gears a little bit to the administration of uh, an allocation of the vaccine specifically to healthcare workers, I'll put this question to Jennifer and Nathan, um, which is how is your hospital or health system working through your employee list to determine selection of healthcare workers to receive the vaccine given the potential limited initial supply? Um, are you considering all frontline workers? Have you addressed, for instance, the mandatory vaccination of healthcare workers? And then if you could also just touch on, you know, what is your plan to distribute that to employees? Are you looking, um, you know, maybe similar to how you manage the flu vaccine, mobile cards, set locations? Um, how are you looking to that? Um, and I'll start that to Jennifer. Uh, yes, Bill. Uh, with the North Carolina DHHS, they have released a prioritization framework that we are using as our guide for how to determine those uh, healthcare workers that would be at the front of the line to receive the vaccine. Uh, we've had a very interesting discussion within our planning teams around the wording that's in this uh, framework because it suggests you consider your employees who are at high risk for exposure or consider if they're vital to the COVID response. So, for example, if you have two individuals who know how to use your ECMO machine, then maybe even though it, they, you, know, you want to make sure that they are at the front of the line because to lose them would be you know, uh, devastating. And so there's just this balance of uh, which way to go. And, and so what we're trying to use sort of a, a, a combination of those two um, different strategies. And uh, we've been working very closely with employee health to pull employee data 
related to uh, the individuals who fit the criteria and just working down an algorithm. Of course, we are very focused on our the inpatient areas where that are our COVID units the emergency department. We also have some respiratory assessment clinics that service our patients outside of the walls of the hospital and having them as well as our urgent care workers. We also have a small long-term care uh, bed capacity in one of our hospitals. And so, of course, those individuals would be at the front of the list as well. And then we're just working down from there. Um, It's a a balance with inpatient and ambulatory, and uh, we have physician leaders from ambulatory that, you know, are very passionate that their individuals, even though they may not be actively taking care of a patient on an inpatient unit, they are at high risk of exposure just with how they're working. And so we've got to balance that. Um, and so we've been watching how those numbers add up over time. And since we expect our first shipment to be low, we'll go down the list as, as far as possible. Uh, as far as your question about mandatory vaccinations, we, we are not going to take that stance. Uh, at Wake Forest Baptist Health, we are addressing and having continued discussions with uh, risk management and other kind of human resources to see how we work within those confines. Uh, but that is a very important topic for us, but we just do not believe that we can do that at this time, which is unlike our influenza campaign at Wake Forest Baptist Health. And then you also asked about how we're going to address the vaccination process. Uh, we are going to have set locations in three of our five hospitals, and we will be pulling our employees to those locations. Uh, we have to be careful, of course, about social distancing, and so that will be very uh, important in how we're laying out the uh, vaccination space, and we're working with our employee health team on that. And then we also, we're limiting the access to the vaccine at this time, but because of the fragility of the vaccine and how we want to move it as little as possible. Thank you, Jennifer. Uh, Nathan, how about for your health system? Any aspects that uh, are are different there? Thanks, Bill. Um, We created a a multidisciplinary committee that's charged with creating a prioritization list based on on the risk of contracting the infection. Um, The group, similar to, to Jennifer, is using both the framework created by our state departments of health and the national academies we are including frontline workers, all frontline workers, including non-clinical roles. Uh, we started working on this list a few weeks ago and have been refining it over the last few weeks as our COVID vaccine work group uh, meets. As far as making it mandatory, we've had that discussion. Um, that, that discussion hasn't been finalized yet. Um, our focus has been on the obvious benefits and protections that a vaccine affords healthcare workers We also consider the EUA approval process and our lack of clinical experience with the vaccine. From a historical perspective, our health system has had many years with the influenza vaccine before we made the decision uh, to make it mandatory for associates. But either way, I think educating our associates will be key to dispelling myths and creating comfort with the vaccine. Regarding our plan to distribute to employees, we operate multiple hospitals with various geographical challenges, both inside and outside the hospital. And one of the things that we've talked a lot about is, and it's it's kind of obvious, but it does present challenges, is that we're doing a mass vaccination campaign 
in the middle of a pandemic. So what we're finding is that what works for one hospital may not work for another. Um, so we're likely doing both a mix of drive-through vaccine clinics and set locations on our acute care campuses. Thank you, Nathan. When we talk about the vaccination uh, of patients, um, and I'll give this question to Lindsay and Nathan, uh, have you discussed operationalizing your vaccination process to your patients? Um, are specific sites of care being allocated for vaccine administration? Are you looking at pre-screening or using appointment slots to ensure your patients qualify, as well as how are you going to try to handle patients who need to come back for that booster shot, either 21 or perhaps up to 56 days uh, later? Um, so I'll, I'll start with Lindsay on this question. Yes, thank you, Bill. I'm happy to answer those questions. Uh, so we are early on in our discussions of where our vaccine administration locations will be within our health system. So those conversations are going on between pharmacy, occupational health services, as well as ambulatory care leadership. Um, however, based on some initial discussion, it does sound like we will plan to limit the vaccine administration, at least initially, to one to two sites. And then once we get some experience under our belt, we would then plan to expand to additional sites. But just as an example of what that might look like, so we would focus first on employees and provide a employee immunization clinic at our main hospital campus initially, and then after that, expand to a couple of ambulatory off-site locations for improved access. Um, so at this time, it does appear likely that we will require our employees to schedule an appointment for the receipt of the vaccine, um, and that would just be to ensure we can maintain occupancy limitations in the rooms as well as meeting social distancing requirements. Um, so we do currently require employees to make appointments to receive their flu vaccine, and so the COVID vaccine might follow that process quite similarly in, in that regard. And then in regards to your second question regarding that second dose, you know, how will that, how will the booster doses be considered and tracked for patients to ensure the booster is available and that the patient returns? Um, so we are tracking administration through our state's immunization information system, and we are fortunate to have that interface directly from our electronic medical records such that when the immunizer gives the vaccine, they will record that in the medication administration record and that flows directly into our immunization system in the state. So patients will also be given a COVID-19 vaccine record card, which I believe are being supplied to us in those ancillary supply kits from the government. And those cards would include information on vaccine they received, including the, the manufacturer, the lot number, the date of when they received their first dose, as well as the date that they would then be due for their second dose. And then I know the CDC playbook recommends to schedule the, the second dose appointment as soon as the patient has received their first dose. Um, and there has also been discussion of using a mail card reminder as well as text message reminders. Thank you, Lindsay. Uh, Nathan, uh, how is your health system uh, looking at planning out the vaccination process for your patients, as well as that booster shot? Yeah, thanks, Bill, for those questions. Um, 
Our focus has initially been on healthcare workers, but we have started to think about you know, how we will vaccinate our patients. Depending on which vaccines are available and, and the storage requirement, we've just generally operated under the, the principle, the simpler the process, the better. And so for us, that means limiting the number of, of vaccination sites. We've also discussed using appointment slots, not only to manage the qualification issue that you brought up, but to also ensure we can handle the volume and have appropriate throughput. In addition, uh, again, depending on which vaccine is available, this also allows pharmacy to plan and make sure we uh, distribute the appropriate number of vaccines to these locations. Regarding the, um, regarding the booster doses, um, there's no doubt that, that inventory management is gonna play a critical piece of the project. And the good news for pharmacy is that we're well-equipped to, to manage inventories. It's one of the pieces we do well day in and day out. And unfortunately, we're also very good at, at handling scarce resources. Um, but our plan is to use our EHR to track administration, uh, plan for patients' follow-up visits, and manage the inventory uh, accordingly. This will require a lot of coordination between our uh, pharmacies and, and the vaccination teams. So we know how much is available when we're scheduling these appointments. But as far as the, the booster follow-up with patients, we're planning to utilize our EHR to engage our patients either through our EHR mobile app, through our email system, or a follow-up phone call, in addition to the vaccine record card previously mentioned. Thank you, Nathan. So our next question will focus a little bit on education uh, of both employees and patients. And I'll put this to Nathan and Jennifer. Um, the first part of the question is, is really about how are you going to educate medical staff, nursing staff about the clinical information of this vaccine, such as administration instructions, contraindications, um, sort of the general clinical information that they need to administer it safely and appropriately. But the other question that kind of goes with this as well is, is, is how are we going to help dispel myths? I'm sure there's going to be a lot of concerns about this vaccine when it comes out. So how are we going to dispel those myths and ensure kind of truthful information is shared with employees or patients, um, given the fact that there probably will be limited published data um, when the first vaccine is launched. So I'll, I'll start that one to Nathan for you to answer that. Thanks, Bill. The pharmacy team regularly discusses vaccine updates on, on various clinical meetings. Our goal has been to discuss, you know, the, the updated information in as many places as we can. So we we include this information and updates on our, our clinical incident command weekly meeting, our medical informatics meeting, and even at our system P&T uh, meetings. And we also have a significant engagement from our medical staff, nursing, and other disciplines on our COVID vaccine working group, which is led by pharmacy and, and meets weekly. In addition, once we get more details around the CDC's recommendations and more information from the phase three trials, uh, we do have newsletters that are COVID focused that go out to our, our uh, clinicians and we plan on utilizing uh, that process to try to uh, disseminate as much information as quickly as we can. In terms of dispelling myths and, and ensuring truthful information is shared, uh, we've been engaged with our communication leadership team since early September discussing this very issue. And we've already started sharing information with our associates over the past few weeks as information has become available. And I anticipate that's gonna ramp up considerably over the next few weeks and months as we 
learn more about the vaccines. I think one of the key issues that we've discussed is we have to be transparent about the process, and that includes letting people know about the knowns and unknowns about the vaccine. And we are working on creating a frequently asked question document uh, to help answer many of the questions we have heard from associates and from patients over the past few months. And so we've been collecting those and some of those we don't have great answers to the, to the questions yet, but we wanna create a, a centralized document so our associates um, can go to that document and get the most up-to-date answers. As it relates to the public, we're planning on creating a short document with bullet points that, that help our frontline staff answer questions that they may be receiving both at work and in the community. Thank you, Nathan. Jennifer, how about your health system? Uh, yes, Bill. So uh, within our COVID uh, vaccine planning task force, we have, of course, been uh, discussing how best to communicate uh, our providers and, of course, the individuals that will be not only managing the vaccine but administering the vaccine. Uh, of course, we are very interested to see the CDC playbook tells us that they will be releasing descriptive training materials that can be provided. And of course, there will be the mandatory education for your primary and backup uh, pharmacy coordinators uh, related to handling of the vaccine. And so we, you know, we're anxious to see those documents so that uh, we can make sure that we are providing the most consistent information that is available from the CDC and have that piggyback on what we already have uh, that we're planning for within our organization. I think as far as dispelling the myths, I've really uh, been very passionate about how important this is. It's very challenging. A recent survey of North Carolinians, and that's, of course, where, where uh, we are as Wake Forest Baptist Health, has already said that 23% of North Carolinians are willing to be vaccinated as soon as possible. Uh, only 9% of Black North Carolinians are willing to receive. And it's already been stated that around 20% of North Carolinians say they would never receive the vaccine. And so when you're working with those percentages and the just the concerns, that's not just in the general population. I am hearing that from healthcare workers that I work alongside of. And so the mistrust of the vaccine is very real regarding the safety and efficacy. And I think we as leaders have to be aware of that and keep that at the forefront in our planning. We have had uh, communications and marketing team members be a part of our team and determining the risk and benefit of communicating information around the vaccine because there are so many unknowns, uh, but we don't want to wait too long to share information as well because that can increase the stress uh, in that unknown. I know many organizations have surveyed their staff uh, just to get a sense of how many would be willing to receive. We have not done that, but are really looking to those, um, those surveys that have already been completed in our state. As far as pushing information out, we, of course, as I'm sure everyone else has a, a very uh, pointed education portal within our internal website. We call it our COVID need to know, and we post information there uh, routinely. And so as far as the vaccines go, of course, information will live there. So we're going to be considering, okay, how do we message for those first waves of uh, employees who would be at the top of the list? But it's also important to communicate and consider how to 
how we will communicate to those individuals that are not at the top of the list and why they may have to wait. And one of those reasons being the potential limitations of the supply. So I, I think it's really important within our health systems to consider the myths and how to work through them. And of course, it's also very important to work with our local health departments and states to help spread the word for our community um, so that we can dispel um, some of those myths that are definitely out there. Thank you, Jennifer. So the next question I'll pose to uh, Ryan and Lindsay, and this deals with uh, the pharmacy involvement in the COVID vaccine process. And while I know all of you have been very involved in the planning process, but how would your pharmacy teams necessarily be engaged in the vaccine process and the preparation, either distribution or administration of the vaccine? Um, will your retail pharmacies be helping with vaccination efforts? And, and is your state and health systems considering maybe some atypical vaccinators um, for vaccine administration, such as, say, pharmacy technicians, given the, the large numbers of vaccinations that we estimate we'll need to do? So I'll, I'll give this one first to Ryan. Thanks, Bill. Um, at my organization, pharmacy has been very involved in the process. Um, we've established two separate COVID groups. Uh, the first is focusing on the clinical aspect of the, the vaccine, and the, this group will also help determine who within our organization uh, gets the priority of the vaccine. Um, this group evolved from the initial Remdesivir EUA um, kind of pharmacotherapy around COVID group, and, and the, the vaccine clinical aspects are also within their scope. And then the second group is focusing on the operational aspects of vaccine, um, so the storage and the distribution pieces of it. Um, one of our pharmacy managers is the, the coordinator, the assigned coordinator for our organization, and um, we facilitated the completion of the provider agreement form um, for our organization. The pharmacy will receive and manage all the distribution of the vaccine uh, within my organization as well, and we will lead the vaccination efforts. We'll likely do this with our retail pharmacists and our interns. Um, we're not currently planning on utilizing technicians, um, but plan to do this with pharmacy staff and if nurses, if needed, some nursing staff for both the employee and the patient parts of the vaccine administration. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, Lindsay, how about at your health system? Yes, thank you. I'm happy to answer those questions as well. Um, so our pharmacy leaders have played a critical role in the planning efforts for all aspects of the MedUse process with regards to the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, so our chief pharmacy officer, Stan Kent, is one of the co-chairs of our institution-wide COVID-19 vaccine and therapeutics task force. Um, and I'm also fortunate to sit on that committee as one of the pharmacy representatives. Uh, so that task force has several subgroups, uh, which include prioritization, occupational health services, safety and efficacy, uh, inpatient, ambulatory care, and also our pharmacy planning work group, which I, I lead that pharmacy planning work group as a subset of the institutional task force. So currently, we're developing a MedUse process flowchart and detail for each step of the MedUse process for the four leading vaccine candidates, with our current focus really being on that Pfizer vaccine, since that's the one that's anticipated to come to be EUA approved first. So we are also working really closely with supply chain services, as they'll be really integral to the processing of those ancillary supply kits that we'll be receiving from the government. 
Uh, we are also working closely with our occupational health services and ambulatory care leadership on our planning efforts. For the second aspect of the question with regards to um, pharmacy or assisting or who will be assisting with the uh, actual administration of the vaccine itself. So at this time, we're not planning to have our retail pharmacies help with those vaccination efforts. There is some discussion of utilizing pharmacy students for this, um, but there has not been discussion about utilizing pharmacy technicians. Our health system is quite fortunate to have up to 700 staff who are capable of immunizing within our, within our system. So it, it kind of appears at this point in time that we might not have to utilize non-traditional immunizers in these mass vaccination clinic efforts. Thank you, Lindsay. Well, we've covered quite a bit of information. Are there any final comments by the group or any key pieces of advice anyone would like to provide to the audience? Is there any gaps maybe in some of the information or would anybody like to comment on further on any of the questions so far? Well, that means we must have done a very good job. Well, that's all the time that we have today. Uh, I wanna thank Ryan, Nathan, Jennifer, and Lindsay for joining us today to discuss their COVID-19 vaccine planning. Join us here on Tuesdays where we will be talking with ASHP members about leadership topics within pharmacy practice. Thank you. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.